Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this continuation of our series on public sector transformation, Sarah Ryle from the AWS Institute talks with Liam Maxwell, Director of Government Transformation at AWS, and Warren Smith, Associate Director at Kershaw. Join us as we talk in-depth about how government agencies can modernize and accelerate their procurement processes. Today, I'm joined by Liam Maxwell, the Director of Government Transformation at Amazon Web Services, and Warren Smith, who's a digital commercial transformation expert, currently a director at Kershaw. And for a time, Liam and Warren worked in UK government on digital transformation programmes. So Liam, you talked to an awful lot of people about transformation. How, how important is procurement in that conversation? Procurement's right at the heart of the transformation process because being able to have access to and being able to procure the technology is fundamental to helping build your reform programmes using new technology. And governments are used to buying things. Why is this problematic for them? Well, a lot of the procurements that are set up to run in many governments are designed to buy and build systems and services in the way that we would build a bridge or that they may want to build a new building um, as opposed to a continually changing iterative service development function, which is what new modern government looks like. So the way that we buy things needs to change. And that's one of the things that governments find most empowering as you go through your reform program is being able to reform your procurement mechanisms so that they allow you to have access to the most innovative, fast-moving and usually much less expensive providers gives you access to the speed and scale that you need in order to build great digital services. So procurement is one of the most powerful enabling functions to get reforms moving. And that's why it's so important that we get it right. What was the experience like for both the the people in government trying to get the right expertise and and, and the right IT and, and also the people who were there with the expertise to sell? What was that experience like? I think it's fair to say that generally the experience was painful. Uh, These things often took many, many months. It wasn't unusual to hear of a procurement lasting nine months or even 18 months. And the documents that people were being asked to not only draft from the buy side, but also um, review and sign up to on the supply side were extremely lengthy, um, often not written in plain language had often incorporated sometimes unnecessary requirements as min- as a minimum to do business. So, so it created this very complex and bureaucratic and painful experience, uh, which was a deterrent to many of the smaller companies who don't have bid teams set up or dedicated to respond to government contracting opportunities. It was often, we found from talking to them, that it was the founders themselves or the senior team who were doing this in their evenings or at the weekends. So we were encroaching on people's personal lives by continuing with the complexity that we had in our procurement. So I think uh, certainly from my personal perspective, we had an almost moral obligation to, to address that through simplification of procurement. So Warren, I think one of the things we we had, we had a 
I remember David Cameron set the target of 25% of business was to be with small, medium enterprises and innovative businesses. And I mean, we got to 54 in the end, but I think part of it was that we, the procurements were all designed for, as you say, for large businesses. And most small businesses actively didn't want to come and sell to government because it just cost them too much money. It would cost you about £50,000 to put together the, you know, the bid itself in terms of lost time and the amount of time you'd spent putting it, putting it all together. And they just couldn't afford it to do that that way. And that was only to get onto the framework. It didn't mean that you were guaranteed any business. So it really didn't make business sense at that point. And, it, and we had ended up with uh, a small number of very large organisations that, that were great at writing bids but when it came to innovation, they were finding that really, really challenging because in addition to the, the need to, to be able to write great bids, they were pretty much set in stone once you'd started to do anything with them. And so the, one of the reasons why government IT cost so much was actually it wasn't the sticker price when, when the contract was let. It was all of the change control requests that came in later when changes happened to meet what the citizen needed to do in order to deliver the service. You, you built something which which wasn't flexible enough to enable you to deliver the business, and every time you change something, the costs escalated. You know, change was inevitable. So it was really that sort of it was quite a a vicious circle of things that would make things more expensive, more complex, and ultimately less and less inviting to innovative companies that could help us build world class solutions. What did you do about that? I think the key thing that what we did in the UK was to recognise that you can't apply the same approach across different products and service areas. Even within the kind of category of technology, um, there are certain aspects which are more mature than others and, and some which are extremely kind of fast moving and fast changing where it's a kind of a nascent or emerging technology. So you, you can't have something which provides a rigid framework in which uh, which doesn't respect or reflect the the fast-paced nature of the particular service or capabilities. So that nuancing um, is really fundamental when you combined with the user-centered design approach that we took to make sure that the contracts were not only meeting the needs of the buyers, but also the needs of the suppliers and enabled the agility and the change that was necessary in the incremental and iterative approach that we're taking to assuring our service delivery. So uh, we, we wanted to make sure then that the standards and the governance approach were embedded within the contractual construct itself. And so, yeah, that, that was quite a, quite a deliberate departure from the standard one-size-fits-all approaches that were typical. And it also, in doing so, we kind of reset the relationship between government and the private sector because we know that having spoken to both large and small suppliers that even though the bigger suppliers have the uh, perhaps the deeper pockets to afford to do this they're not set up simply just to be bid responders so i think you know they wanted to do good business as well so yeah that's a it was a really critical part of listening to and responding to the needs of those critical kind of primary users of public procurement. I think that's one of the things that, that people sometimes forget when we went through this change, that some of the incumbent suppliers who had a huge you know, vested interest in keeping everything going in terms of the way it was, 
were coming to us and saying, look, please stop stop buying in this way. We can work with you and help you build new ways of and, and new services in the same way that an innovative, a small innovative company will do it. And it was really heartening to find that some of the larger suppliers would just wanted to change just as much as we did. And that's one of the things to think about. So if you if you're if you are in a government or a public service organization, you know, looking at this and thinking, well, this is all very difficult. It is a challenge. It is difficult to do. But buying services in the right way benefits you as a public service organization because you have access to great talent and great innovation. But it also helps the companies that supply to you because it costs less. They get much more certainty about what they're going to do. And ultimately, they start to build services which really work. And and that's that's why they're in this game. And so it's 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 a really important component of what we're talking about is is that that combination of helping people buy in, in a better way helps free up great talent in small and large companies alike. It's really interesting actually in the context of the public sector, you've got this knowledge, you've been through this experience. And unlike in a commercial setting, you, you don't sort of keep that to yourselves, do you? You actually take this work out and share it. And Warren, you were very involved in that in the, the International Digital Marketplace program. So have you basically created a blueprint that others can, can use and then develop themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the power of making these things open uh, and like in its broadest sense, you know, not only the the platforms that enable internet era approaches to buying, but also the contracts that underpin them, um, but also just the the kind of the principles and the methodologies that we've been through to uh, experiment and to deliver on this. You know, this is all well-documented, successful approaches for digital service delivery and the same is absolutely applicable to government procurement. So, we have helped other governments around the world uh, to address some more kind of structural challenges that they are facing within their own country context. But underpinning it are things like better use of data, uh, use of um, canonical data sources, data sharing and collaboration between different teams across governments to enable them to deliver on strategic priorities for their countries so work in mexico for example did exactly that their national digital platform not only was it a legal requirement for uh, states across mexico to share data into the national digital platform but we also needed to help them uh, achieve the ambitions of what they set out within their strategy and within the legislation so so data sharing and data sharing technologies through APIs was where we focused our work. Um, And yeah, we were using some approaches that we uh, saw to be successful in the UK, but but applied to very different kind of problem areas. So yeah, I think it's absolutely um, possible to show how other governments can do the same kind of thing, but without having to start from a blank piece of paper or reinventing the wheel. There's a well-trodden path and we're uh, even, you know, to the point of being open and honest about the mistakes that we made, the the trade-offs we had to make, the concessions, uh, because there's no point other governments having to make the same mistakes. So the way that we resolved the approach to procurement was we created a new set of procurement frameworks, which were based on modern ways of working and buying things for the delivery of internet-based services. 
So we built something that worked around cloud. We built frameworks which enable people to not just buy cloud, but buy services that were based on cloud. And in doing so, they could then have access to the security, the scale, the speed, the resilience of the cloud in their procurement. So no longer were we asking small companies to come and show us their data center. We were helping small, medium and large companies use the power of the cloud to deliver their services in a secure and effective way. I think, Warren, one of the things we also should raise is is the fact that this is something that took quite a lot of time to get right the first time around. And although it's great to, to share with other governments, it's not something that can happen overnight because it is changing the dynamics of a multi-billion dollar purchasing environment. The UK government was well over $10 billion a year in terms of its expenditure. So changing that and moving towards a different way of procurement took time to turn and took time to happen. But it was really important that you got the basics right at the very beginning and all the, the, the foundation for moving towards a procurement approach that was open, that enabled really clear, open competition but between companies based on the innovation they could provide, not based on the size. And that was a really important change that we made to the whole approach. Liam's point, uh, the foundations early on, I mean, that was absolutely critical. The relationship of different steps across the end-to-end lifecycle of public spending. So pre-procurement planning, spend controls and the standards that help public officials make the right decisions was absolutely critical to then flow into the procurement stage and then beyond that into the post-procurement contract management and implementation stage. So having a golden thread of standards um, and a governance approach that flowed throughout that was really critical. Um, And that when often we hear of people saying, oh, you know, we really want to do a digital marketplace. It's like, well, yes, we, we can have that conversation, but let's make sure we don't uh, ignore the importance of that governance and the standards that drive the, the right decisions. Have some strong thoughts about the public sector procurement process? We'd love to hear your perspective. Let your voice be heard by joining the conversation on our LinkedIn page at AWS Executive Connection. And Warren, I think you talked about thinking big, but starting small. You didn't didn't try to tackle all of it at once, did you? No, absolutely. We knew from looking across all the contracts that govern kind of technology procurement uh, that what we were trying to do represented a significant shift away from that uh, kind of um, standard operating procedure, one size fits all approach. But we knew that if we tried to tackle the entire category, that we probably would have never have been able to achieve what we did. So we started with one contract, which we knew based on uh, market feedback, uh, feedback internally, it just simply wasn't working so we said, right, well, let's let's hack this one contract. It was a relatively small contract in terms of public expenditure. Over its nearly five-year lifespan, it had about 100 and just under 180 million pounds spent through it, which is a drop in the ocean when you consider that UK government spends just under 300 billion a year on goods and services. So we said, look, let's 
do something different for this one contract. Let's bring together legal professionals, procurement policy and uh, delivery professionals and the service design community within government. And we hacked the contract. Uh, and it was a real kind of enabling environment over a three-day period where I think it was the first time that you know, lawyers had been given kind of different tools to uh, <laughs> to rethink their profession. So scissors and um, post-it notes and uh, other things. Um, but after the three days, we managed to reduce the contract in size by about 50%. And we had agreement from the lawyers that they would work with our content designers to pair right the new clauses in plain language. So not only had we dramatically reduced the size, we were also making it much more accessible. Um, now, that was such a success that then we had agreed with the commercial policy team to apply the same approaches for a model that would be applied to all common goods and services. So we saw the ability there to scale what was originally an experiment to bring together different teams and to apply a user-centered, a design-led and more data-driven approach to uh, the contracts. I think also one of the bits that we learned, which was not something that was apparent to me at the beginning, but made really forcefully, was also making sure that the market knows where you're going to go and what you're going to do in the future. It is, is tremendously powerful to help companies organize themselves and to help you identify the best bids that you can get from the market. Because a lot of the time people only heard about contracts coming out when they were published and then you've got to spin it up really quickly and get it in, in time. If we were able to give what we call pre-market engagement or a forward look on the roadmap of the projects that were going to be coming up, that helped companies, particularly innovative and the smaller companies, identify which of those projects they felt they had a good chance of winning. And so they could marshal their forces more effectively to go after the things which they felt more confident about with enough time. And that timing was a really powerful component there. So, so also designing your procurement so that it also suits the market is a really really powerful tool to help generate better and clearer and more effective business with your supplier base. 100%. I think that pre-procurement stage is absolutely vital, providing the teams are taking full advantage of, of as you say, Liam, the pre-market engagement, the early market engagement. That is a, so important for the organizations to share openly and honestly, I think that's the key part, honestly, <laughs> that these are the problems we're, we're trying to solve. This is the legacy technology that we have in place. This is the world we're trying to move away from. And here's our vision for what the future um, service design and delivery organization looks like. And how does that then translate into the individual contracts which are due to expire, giving, as you say, the, the clear pipeline of forward demand not only in terms of the contracting opportunities, but also the skills and capabilities that are going to be needed to help move from the old to the new. So that can be a massively uh, important part of helping to shape the market because the suppliers will say, OK, well, I can see I can see the clarity of what they're trying to do. 
perhaps that helps me to identify whether or not I've got any gaps within my organization so that I can, I can train accordingly. I can recruit accordingly. That also then starts to look at the, the very local kind of economy side of things in terms of where the suppliers are based and, and where they're going to be looking for their talent. So yeah, I think it's massively, massively important and, and often uh, or rather it's seldom done. That's the issue. I think that is people are rarely doing this and using it in a way which isn't just being turned into some formalized procurement. It's actually to have an open dialogue, a meaningful dialogue about, yeah, the outcomes you're trying to achieve and the problems you're trying to solve. Going back to the way of buying and, and what really worked as well was being able to offer a catalog to procurement folk meant that, and people who were, you know, the, the tech teams that were trying to put together the services meant that you had open competition for services, but it also it meant it was much easier to plan what you were trying to put together because you could see what things would cost if you went down one route. You could see what things would cost if you went down another route. And you were not being required to set in stone your technology approach three years before you started to work on something that was delivered a year later for a five-year deployment, You know, by which time you're eight, nine years out of date. So it was it was being able to offer people the ability to to design and use real market data and you know live opportunities that help people start to design things that were much more flexible, much more um, repeatable, and ultimately also much much cheaper. And the 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 ability to buy things with a price that changed and prices changed every six months was a huge difference whereas previously prices had been set for a seven-year period so in terms of that flexibility the key design and delivery approach was to ensure that the commercial construct of the framework agreements that sit behind the digital marketplace reflected the fast-moving nature of the market so that's why every six months or so we were opening it up not only to new entrants but to existing providers to uh, update their um, service catalogue and their pricing accordingly. If we had done something which was locked out for several years, then it's likely to become very quickly out of date and very stale and not therefore meeting the needs of the buyers in uh, across the public sector. So that's a really important part of making sure that the approach reflects and respects the market and meets the needs of what the supply community is able to provide and is uh, provides the agility for that uh, uh, to yeah to reflect the the fast changing nature of the particular products or services in this case um, cloud services can you summarize the impact the difference that having the digital marketplace built has meant for transformation well it's saved huge amounts of money <laughs> so <laughs> that's a very important part but not exclusively I think when you look at the combination of spend controls and reformed procurements, you're talking about billions of pounds over the time that uh, it's been in place. But I think what's important is not to simply look at it from a, a financial perspective, is actually how procurement has enabled the digital data and technology teams in government and the innovative suppliers to come together in a much more meaningful way. And so that, I think, as, an, as a, a, an argument for our economy, is a much greater piece in, of importance than simply looking at the, uh, the value for money um, side of things. It's not just the money as well, it's the skills 
in that economy that we built at that point that you're building jobs you're building capabilities which were on the same level and the same scale as we were building in the all of the efforts around tech city and the tech nation build of, of you know encouraging the growth of new innovative business scaling businesses in the uk the government procurement and the the economic growth that was delivered by by government procurement was material to the growth of the digital economy in the UK, which is per head the largest digital economy in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And we can see from the numbers, obviously the data is published in the open as it should be. So we can see that the digital marketplace has contributed, I think, just under 78% of all direct spend to SMEs through the Crown Commercial Service um, uh, framework agreements. You know, that's that's across all of their framework agreements. And so I think there's some important kind of reflection points to say, okay, well, why has that been so successful compared to the other 22%? You know, what is different? And I think it goes back to everything we've been talking about. It's a user-centered, multidisciplinary open and collaborative approach which respects the needs of the primary users in public procurement, the buyers and the suppliers. So is the way that people get started then in countries where they want to achieve these sorts of savings, they want to increase their skills base, is the first step to get themselves a digital marketplace? Well, I think one of the first steps to do is to, is, is to start to move towards a dynamic procurement framework which enables you to offer a route for smaller businesses and innovative businesses to get involved with government procurement. And that's the starting point for something which may end up looking very like the digital marketplace or may end up looking like something much better. I mean, what we built was peculiarly British and it has been copied by others, but there are other marketplaces like that that are building at the moment. Uh, The European Commission has a really powerful one called Cloud2, which again offers capabilities of, of, of dynamic procurement. We've been doing some work across um, Latin America to help people have access to this. And there's no one right answer apart from having something which works for the innovative companies in your market. I mean, go back to that, that just to have one, you know, one method for this may be very different in Brazil to what you might need to have in Austria. So you need to have something that works for the businesses in your market. But but that's the, the fundamental thing is to have something that's flexible. And so I think that's a really exciting thing that if you're a startup or, a, or an innovative business and you're looking to go and help government, having access to government procurement is really exciting for you. But you can't believe how exciting that's going to be for the government that needs to use it. Yeah, I would I would echo that, and and actually it it's uh, in line with the experience in the UK. We didn't start with a digital marketplace type platform. We actually started with the the commercial agreements, um, design those correctly, as Liam says, to be dynamic, to be open, um, to reflect the needs of buyers and suppliers. And actually, the platform kind of emerged out of what we saw to be the kind of common elements of success in procurements. Final question then, the right team members, where, where do you go to get those? Is there a sort of a school of procurement people or are these IT people or where, where, where do you find these skills to get this started? So, so most procurement departments will have people inside them 
who really want to make things work and can see a new way of doing things and have a huge amount of institutional knowledge. And so that's the first place to start to look. Second thing is learn from what other people have done and how that's worked. And that's why we have a service called Open Government Solutions, which lists all the open source things that have been done by one government and used by others. And there's a good indexing there of the digital marketplace and, and what's there. And the third thing is service designers. And service designers are really important in terms of helping build services that really work. Yeah, the diversity of the team uh, so that it expands the service design type roles, product management, service design, user research, etc. Plus, in the sense of procurement, it's the legal and the commercial practitioners as well. We've seen that blend to be hugely important. And in the same way that a digital service for perhaps uh, collection of tax or, or whatever it is that citizens need to interact with government for, absolutely the same approach and principles can be applied to thinking of public procurement as a service. It's 100% the same in terms of the legacy challenges, the capability needed, the the role and opportunity of open data. Uh, so yeah, I think public procurement in that sense isn't, isn't any different to any large complex digital service that is provided by government. Well, thank you both very much indeed for all of that insight. And I think, I think if that hasn't explained entirely, uh, how, how to, uh, to go about starting this up, then I know that, uh, we've got open government solutions. People can search for that. The open government solutions is a great curated collection of examples from where people have done it. The ability to then talk to the officials <laughs> who've been there, done that and have borne the bruises. I think that's that's a key part of that. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. For more public sector insights, visit aws.amazon.com slash institute. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher. See you on the next one.